happening. Okay, Parsha's bow. Now we missed, of course, the first two Parshios in Sefer Shmos, Shmos and Va'era, in which Moshe is reintroduced or introduced to the Jewish people and he's sent by Hashem to redeem the Jewish people. We're picking up in the middle of the story. Parsha's bow begins with the eighth, eighth, ninth, and tenth makots. Um, take place during this particular parsha. So we're literally in the middle of the story, and even though that's the case, we're going to jump right in. What I want to do is learn uh, Rav Hirsch's comments. We've really been focused on Rav Hirsch over the last uh, number of weeks that we've been learning together. Rav Hirsch's comments on this first exchange between Moshe and Paro. This introduction to the eighth plague, the plague of Arba, of Locus, which is what the parsha opens up with, has four distinct parts to the, the play. If we were scripting a, a play, um, uh, and we were casting all of the roles, we have four different stages. First, Hashem speaks to Moshe and Aharon. Then Moshe and Aharon speak to Paro. Then the servants of Paro speak to Paro. Then we bring Moshe and Aharon back in front of Paro, and then Paro has a dialogue with them. So there's a lot of moving parts as far as how this particular play goes, which is more than usual. Again, we haven't really focused on, on all of them, but, uh, but we are going to go through them as far as, uh, as far as that goes. Okay, so here we go. Let's, let's learn it together. We're going to learn each section uh, as a unit, and then we'll go back and talk about it uh, as each one goes. So the parsha begins as follows. Hashem says to Moshe, no, it's time. Come to Paro. Go in front of Paro. For I have hardened his heart and the heart of all of his servants in order that I may display my signs among them. So I've hardened their hearts. So Hashem says to Moshe, it's time, I need you to go to Paro, introduce plague number eight. I've hardened his heart and the heart of all of his uh, servants. And then Hashem adds one more pasuk, Uleman tisaper that you may also tell over to the ears of your children and your children's children, Es Asher Hisalalti b'Mitzrayim, how I made a mockery of Mitzrayim. You will know that I am indeed, I am Hashem. That's the introduction. Now the Ramban points out right away, if you only had these two psukim and you were to ask the question, which plague is coming? What, Moshe was not told, is it blood? Is it frogs? Is it lice? What's happening? Hashem doesn't say anything. So the Ramban points out, this is an example as you find many times, the Torah doesn't want to repeat the same story three times. So because Moshe is about to say it to Paro, so it's actually left out. Moshe, we are not told in this introduction the specifics of the plague that's going to come, which is the plague of, of Arba, of Locus. What the Ramban does mention very interestingly is that Hashem here says to Moshe, I need you to know something. I'm the one who's hardened Paro's heart. Now again, remember, we're in the middle of the story. This is plague number eight that's about to be introduced. And Hashem says to Paro, Hashem says to Moshe, I've hardened his heart, the heart of himself and the heart of all of his servants. The Ramban notes something interesting. Technically speaking, as we know, the first five, Paro hardens his own heart. It's the second five, six, seven, and eight, nine and 10, there is where Hashem is the one hardening his heart. So Ramban notes, we're not told about this until now. This is the first time that Hashem says to Moshe, I have hardened his heart. But it's not the first time that Paro has actually hardened his heart. So why does Moshe, why does Hashem highlight this time before or following plague number seven 
I've hardened his heart. Why does he first tell that to Moshe now? And the Ramban notes that that is because at the end of last week's parasha, the seventh plague, their power for the first time seems to crumble. And at the end of the plague, he says, Chatati hapa'am. I have sinned, Paro says. Hashem hatzadik. Hashem is indeed the righteous one. Va'ani ve'ami harisho'im. I and my nation are the wicked ones. Please daven for me. Remove the, bo- the hail that was taking place at the end of the last plague. Here, the Ramban points out, and then it stops. So you might have thought, I, I actually heard remorse from Paro. We heard him say, I'm the sinner, I'm the one who's done wrong. No, Hashem says to Moshe, you'll see, I've hardened his heart. I'm not done with him. I'm not finished. I have to display more power. I have to give him all of my signs. As Rav Hirsch points out, we're going to get to more of his comments later. I have to show him the full fury of the capabilities of my ability to control the entire world. And we're going to attack now with Arba, the agricultural, and completely decimate that because that's, of course, what the Egyptians worshipped and relied upon. And therefore, I have hardened his heart. And even though he said, I have sinned, but still, we're not finished. One of the other commentators points out here also a unique introduction that Hashem says to Moshe is that I want you to tell it to your sons and your sons' sons, your children's children. Why does he say that specifically here before the plague of locusts? That this is going to be something you're going to tell over to all future generations. So it's also noted, it's also noted of all the plagues that we have, this is really the only one that's going to be replicated throughout history. Meaning, we're never going to have a plague of dam. We don't have plagues of frogs everywhere, lice. Those are abnormal things that happened during the Egyptian uh, period when we're on our way out. But a locust, plagues of locusts descending upon areas is actually pretty common. You could open up uh, Google, you know, plague of locusts, and you'll see every five, ten years, specifically in the Middle East, in Egypt, in other parts of the Midwest of the U.S. even, you have these large uh, you know, plagues of, of locusts that descend and, and destroy crops. So it's on this one that Hashem says, no, you're going to tell this to your children because it's going to happen throughout history. You'll have locusts, but never like this. There will never be anything. They're going to talk about locusts many times and they'll always say, yeah, but it wasn't like the time when Hashem brought it to Mitzrayim. That was a plague of locusts. Okay, that's stage number one. Hashem introduces to Moshe, go into Paro. I'm going to make a mockery of, of, uh, of Mitzrayim. Vayavo Moshe ve'aron el Paro. So they come, Moshe and Aaron come to Paro, vayamru elov, and they explain to him as follows. Now here, let's learn, it's uh, only two or three psukim of what they actually describe. And they describe it as follows. So has Hashem, the God of the Jews, said, how much longer are you going to refuse to humble yourself before me? Shalach ami ve'avduni. Let the people go. Send out my nation that they may serve me. They warn him, if you refuse, you continue to refuse to send out my nation. I'm going to bring, I'm going to tell you when it's going to happen. It's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to bring locusts, this plague of locusts into your midst, and it's going to be pretty bad. They're going to cover, literally mean the eye of the earth, the surface of the land. You won't even be able to see the land. 
They will eat and consume anything that was left after the barad, after the hell, which was the previous plague. They're going to destroy everything. There will not be anything left that grows in the field. Borat already, the hail destroyed most of it. This will consume the rest. They will fill your houses, the houses of your servants, the houses of all the Egyptians. No one has ever seen anything like this. Not your fathers, not your fathers, fathers. From the time people have been on this earth, nothing will ever been like this. And then what's the response that they wait for from Paro? Nothing. They don't even wait for a response from Paro. They come in. They give him the warning. If you don't let the people go, tomorrow it's coming. They describe what it's going to be like, how bad it's going to be. It's going to cover the Ein Ha'aretz. The entire surface of the earth will be, will be covered with them. And then they turn and they leave. That's the end of Act 2, so to speak. Just one interesting point. The Rav Hirsch points out the phrase that Moshe uses that they will cover the earth. He uses the phrase v'chisas, ein ha'aret. They will cover the, the eye, so to speak, of, uh, of the earth. Sarah Hirschus points out the human eye is called an ayin. Why is it called an ayin? And now an ayin is from the word like a ma'ayan, which means a wellspring, a source. So his language is refreshes not because man's spirit flows out of it, normally a source. Why do we call something a wellspring? Because the water springs and comes from it. But the reason why the eye is called a ma'ayin is because through the eye that the world flows into man. That's his, uh, his comment on that language of Ein Ha'aretz. Therefore, the human eye is called Ein Ha'aretz. It will cover the Ein Ha'aretz, the eye of the earth, the source of the world. Our eyes is the source through which the world flows into us. Is his language. He flips it on its head. Not that we flow out of our eyes, but through our eyes, we take in everything that we have to see in the world. And that's why there's such a concept of what we call shmiras enayim, like watching, guarding one's eyes, because you can't unsee something. Whatever you see becomes part of the reality in which we live. And therefore, there's a concept of being careful of what it is that we take in, what it is that we watch, what it is that we want to let our children see, because the world comes into their beings through our eyes. And he has a little comment on that, on that particular phrase. In any case, let us continue with our story. So we've had two acts so far. The first act was the simple description which Hashem gives to Moshe, go to Paro and tell him, What's coming? And Hashem says to Moshe, and I want you to know, this is important. I've hardened his heart. This is going to be amazing. You're going to tell your children and your children's children about this. Moshe comes in. There's no dialogue. It's a one-way street. Moshe simply says, how long are you going to hold back from sending forth the people? I'm telling you tomorrow, this is what's coming. The plague is coming. And then he turns and he he describes how bad it's going to be. They're going to consume everything. There'll be nothing left. You can't even see the surface of the earth. And then he turns and he leaves. At that point... At that point, we had something new. At this point, the Avde Paro, the servants of Paro, speak up. And they intercede. Moshe's left already. Moshe's not even there. He's not interested in a response from Paro. He's been told by Hashem that Hashem has hardened his heart. So he doesn't expect anything from Paro. So Moshe and Aharon leave. And now, a new character appears on the scene. The servants of Paro speak up. And it's worth noting I would imagine the amount of courage and the amount of 
uh, suffering that they must have already gone through for them to have the courage to stand up and say what they say. And they say, Vayomru avdei paro elov, ad How long? How long is this one, this Moshe, going to be a mokesh, a snare, a trap to us? Send them out. Send them out already. Are you not aware? We're lost. We already had the barad. It's destroyed the crops. And now Moshe is telling me, telling us that the Arba, the locusts are going to come and they're going to consume everything. Paro, they say. How much longer can we take this? Don't you see the land is going to be lost? Now, Rav Hirsch comments on the word, uh, how long will Moshe be a snare or a trap to us? That's the language. That's a language which implies somebody who is underhanded, trying to trick or fool or mislead like a trap. Rav Hirsch says, Moshe has been anything but a mokesh. He has not been a snare or a trap. Moshe has been very straightforward very upfront. He has told us exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, what we, need to, what we need to do to avoid it from happening, how we get it to end. It's been crystal clear. Why do they use the language that Moshe is a mokesh? He is a snare or a trap to us. So our first points out, from the servant's perspective, something fascinating has been happening. And we're used to the story already, but look at it from the servant's perspective. Seven times already, the same pattern has repeated itself. Moshe comes in, tells Paro, or asks him, demands of him, let us go. Paro says no, and then exactly what Moshe says happens. Dam, Tzvardeya, Kinim, Arov, Dever, Shechin, one after another. Each time, Paro eventually relents, and says, fine, pray for me, stop it. Moshe says, when? And Moshe goes out and he davens and he prays and it ends. Time after time after time. <clears throat> One would think that each time that Paro says stop, that he now has time to reflect and say, okay, get out of here already. But each time, each time, what actually happens in the respite, in the moment in between the waves of terror and, and suffering, Paro hardens his heart. Either he's hardening his own heart or Hashem is hardening his heart. But every time there's a break, it doesn't actually lead to a, a final end of the suffering from the Egyptians. It just is a temporary break until Moshe and Aaron come back again. This last time, again, picking up what we said from the Ramban a moment ago, Paro said, Chatasi, I'm a sinner. Hashem is the righteous one and me and my people are the ones who have done wrong. And then... Moshe comes back and says, New Paro, let him go, or you're all going to be destroyed. The, the locusts are going to come, they're going to destroy everything. And Paro doesn't even say anything. Moshe and Aaron, they just leave. From the servants' perspective, they see this constant build of the starting, the stopping, the starting, the stopping, which Hashem did on purpose. Is Asher his olalti, like he said earlier, to make a mockery, to build one after another, to show my full strength and power. But to the servants, they're like, we can't take it. Paro, every time you say enough, but then you don't use the opportunity to take the respite to actually let them go. And then it just comes back worse. So from their perspective, like Moshe is setting you up as a mokesh. He's setting you up as a snare because each time he says, you want me to let it stop now? And you say yes, but then you don't do anything 
that moment of respite just gives it more time to come back even worse the next time. So they call him Imokesha. They see it building, building, starting and stopping and starting and stopping. But power, you're never getting the message. Haterem teida, don't you know? that all of Mitzrayim is going to be lost. Let them go already. That's the end of stage three. No response from Paro. We now have these new actors on the stage, the servants of Paro, who, who demand of Paro, come on, we can't do this anymore. And the Torah then tells us, act number four, it works. Without any formal response from Paro, the Torah tells us, Vayushav es Moshe es Aaron el Paro. Moshe and Aaron were brought back. Vayushav. Not that they came back on their own. They were brought back, which means the servants of Paro succeeded in convincing Paro, you know what, maybe this is a bad idea. I've gotten the warning. Maybe letting Moshe and Aaron walk out and turn their backs on us and just leave was a bad idea. They bring back Moshe and Aaron, but Paro has a request before he says, okay, fine, you can go. Go ahead. I'm going to let you go. But he adds a question. Who's going? Who's going? So that the servants of Paro have convinced Paro to change his mind. He, in fact, fetches for Moshe and Aaron and brings them back. But he says, I want to know who's going. And here we have one of the most beautiful psukim in, in this entire a period of the ten plagues, as it's described here, Moshe says, Vayomer Moshe, again, we would call this, I guess, still in the middle of Act 4, in which they've been brought back, Vayomer Moshe binareinu uvizkeineinu neleich, we're going with our young, bizkeineinu, with our elderly, bivaneinu uvivnoseinu, with our sons, with our daughters, bitzaineinu bivkareinu, with our flocks, because this is a Chag. This is a festival for Hashem, and therefore we're all going. Paro responds to this and says, No deal. He says, The Lord should be with you the same as I mean to let your children go with you, meaning, No way! I see you have only evil thoughts in your eyes. I will let the men go, Paro says. They can serve Hashem. That's what you wanted to serve Hashem. You can take the men. And then he expels them. Which is the word we use for divorce in the Torah. He expelled them from Paro's presence. This dialogue, refers has a beautiful comment on. Paro says, who's going? Now we see from his response who he expected to should go. If you need to serve Hashem, if that's what you need to do for three days, as Moshe had said, we need to go out and serve Hashem. So you take the men, they'll go out and serve. But when he asks, when he asks Moshe, who's going to go? Moshe says, what do you mean? Who's going to go? With our young children, with our elderly, with our sons and with our daughters. Rav Hirsch says, this is a very specific word that Moshe uses. This is a word that's not the first time we've seen this word when Moshe shows up for the very first time to Paro. He uses this exact same word as well in the beginning of Perakeh. 
This is after Moshe has arrived in, in Mitzrayim for the first time. Or, I mean, he grew up there for the first time when he returns after his years in Midian. And he tells the people that he's come to redeem them. And the Torah says they believed him. They bow down. They see that this is, this is it. The redemption is happening. This is the first approach. I'm reading you know, the beginning of Parakeh. They show up in Paro's palace for the very first time and they say... Ko amar Hashem Yisrael. So as Hashem, the God of the Jewish people said, Shalachas Ami, send forth my people, v'yachogu li bamidbar. And they will celebrate, they will make a chaga for me in the desert. This is the very first of power. It says, who's this Hashem? I'm not letting him go. So the first time that Moshe makes his request, it's key, we have to chog, we have to be chogeg, we have to celebrate. Hashem, make a festival. <coughs> And this is what Moshe says here in our parsha. When Paro says, who's going? Moshe says, what do you mean who's going? With our young, with our old, with our sons, with our daughters. What's the language of a chag? So our first rites that we've seen many times, he likes to talk about language and, and words and specific meanings. That they shall make me a festival comes from the word chageg, which is to form a circle or move around in a circle. Like we find in Sefer Tehillim, Yachogu v'yano'u kishikur. Like they circle around and move like a drunk. Vayichogu is like a circle. And a chug is a circle. And a mechuga is a compass. Because it means to make a circle around something. And therefore, accordingly, a chag, when we talk about a chag that we celebrate with Hashem, is something that not only occurs annually in the cycle of the year, but its actual meaning, its definition, refers rights, is that it's called a chag because the celebrants, those who celebrate, form a circle around the center to which Hashem has gathered them as a community around Him. When we make a Chag, we encircle that which is in the middle, which is Hashem Himself. And Chogeg, therefore, means gather in a circle around God and His Torah, which He established for us as the center of our lives, so that we should become, for all eyes to see, Refers writes, the people of Hashem and the people of His Torah. This idea, um, this is not what Refers talks about. Uh, he does a little bit as well. I shouldn't say he doesn't. The difference between Shabbos and Yantiv. When, when we talk about this difference, there are many, many fundamental differences. Shabbos is Hashem coming to our homes. We have a concept called Kabbalah. This is a, not my idea. Many, many commentators speak about this idea. Kabbalah Shabbos. We go out and greet Shabbos. We stay home and we bring Shabbos into us. Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Hasharis. We welcome in the angels as they come into our home. Boachem Shalom Malachi Hasharis. The whole idea is welcoming the Shabbos into our homes, whether it's from the symbolic gestures of the women as they light Shabbos candles, bringing in the sanctity into our home, the men in shul with Kabbalah Shabbos turning to the back of the shul, Boi Kala, Boi Kala, come in, enter into the Kala. What do we do at the end of Shabbos? A Malava Malka, which means to escort the bride out, to escort the queen out. There's the concept of bringing the Kedusha, the sanctity of Shabbos, into our homes over the course of Shabbos. Yantiv, now again, we don't live in the times of the Beis HaMikdash where Yushalayim is built up and the Holy Temple stands in its center. But the way that Yantiv would be centered is we go to Yerushalayim to celebrate the Chagim.
The Chagim is going to the center, going to the Beis HaMikdash, going to Yerushalayim, bringing everybody there, appearing before Hashem. It's the idea of creating the center of Yerushalayim in the center of the Jewish world. And Rav Hirsch picks up that the idea is built in, in the language of the word Chag is a circle, that we come to create a circle. In the center of that circle, you always put in the center that which is the most valuable, that which everything goes around it, and that is Hashem and His Torah are in the center, and that's the concept of the Chag. The three times a year, Pesach, Sukkot, Shavuos, where we celebrate the Chagim, we go to Yerushalayim, is about taking time in the year <coughs> in which we define in a very practical way what the center of our lives is all about. And that is we define the center of our lives as Hashem and His Torah. That is where it is. Therefore, Rav Hirsch writes, when Paro says, who's going? Moshe said, I told you what the purpose of this trip is. The purpose of this trip is, Vayichogu li bamidbar. They're going to celebrate me for me, <coughs> make a festival for me in the, in the desert. And that's what Moshe says here as well. So who's going? Ki chag Hashem lanu. So who, who needs to be the one we create Hashem in the center of our world? Who needs to be there? First writes, we do not have, we do not have intermediaries. We do not have priests or representatives that say, we're the only ones who serve. Everybody else, you're good. We'll take care of it for you. No, 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 no. Moshe says to Paro, and his words echo and reverberate throughout all of Jewish history. If we are to go, if we're making it a chag in which we're placing Hashem in the center of our lives, we all need to be there. From the youngest infant in his cradle to the last sheep in our possession, the community is found within each one of us. No one, refers writes, nothing may remain <clears throat> because it's a Chag. A Chag forms a circle. And if we're going to make a circle around Hashem and He's calling us to put Him in the middle, <clears throat> then this is the call that every member of our family with all of our possessions should be around Him. Paro doesn't understand this concept. Paro says, you want to serve Hashem? I know what it means to serve, to serve deities. I got plenty of them. Let your priests go. Let the men go. What do you need the women and the children for? Moshe says, you don't understand what a chag is. A chag is creating a circle. And in the middle of that circle is Hashem and His Torah. And nobody can be left out of that circle that's created. And therefore, we are all going to be a part of this. <clears throat> And he therefore expels Moshe and Aaron again because Paro, unable to comprehend this, says, the Gvarim can go. Only the men are able to go. They can serve Hashem. They're the ones who you want, but nobody else. And Moshe's like, no deal. This is not a religion for men. It's not a religion for priests. It's not a religion for the elite. It's a Chag Hashem, And at the center of our lives, it's for everybody to join us. That is the end of the introduction to the plague of Arbe. It's great to be back learning a little bit together. Uh, we'll leave it at this for now. And I uh, look forward to continuing uh, back in uh, Montreal next week as, uh, as all things go. See, let me just, any comments that need to be addressed here? Wonderful. Yes. Why didn't Pharaoh just lock up So 
I, I believe it's the Ramban who points out, I don't remember on which Pasuk he points this out, that throughout this entire story, the ability of Moshe and Aaron to come and go at will is part of the, uh, the miracle of the story. It, it, there should be no ability, there should be no, that, that's not a normal thing that they just came and went as they, uh, as they wanted. And that, I believe it's the Ramban who points that out as one of the elements of the story, that they had the ability to, uh, to do that. If I was Pharaoh, I would throw them in jail. That's it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Probably if you were power, you would have done a lot of things differently. <laughs> okay. Yeah.